Journey into comics. Poor entertainment. Poor news. Foodies watching movies. Adulting 80s. Podcast read the voice of survival. Kids for sale. Gallif Radio. Bruise with dudes. Journey into wrestling. Journey into comics network. Journeyintocomics.com. Following the following journey into comics. 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 Network. 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 Production. Production. Hey, this is Veronica from Foodies Watching Movies, and you are listening to the Journey into Comics Network Best of the Week show. Highlights from all the episodes on the network this week. Enjoy. And here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Journey into Comics. Lucasfilm president and Star Wars producer Kathleen Kennedy getting a contract extension. Hollywood Reporter recently revealing Kennedy's new deal will put her in Lucasfilms until at least 2021. And uh, does it say of value? Uh, looks like a mini bike of our existence. That was fucking loud. Let's see. Let's go ahead and read this article here. It says, after turning out three hugely successful Star Wars movies since Disney's purchase of the franchise... Years ago, Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy is receiving a contract extension to continue shepherding the galaxy far, far away. A Hollywood reporter recently revealed Kathleen Kennedy's new deal, which puts her in control of Lucasfilms until at least 2021. After purchasing Lucasfilms from George Lucas for $4 billion in 2012, Kennedy has overseen four films that have uh, went on to gross over $4.5 billion at the box office in less than four years, meaning... They made their investment back and are now making money on the Star Wars franchise no matter what they do. Of course, this could be a shock for some who thought Kennedy might be outed after the poor performance of Solo, that film only grossing $392 million worldwide. And although that is good by some standards of other blockbusters, it's well short of the Disney expectation for the Star Wars franchise. Although The Last Jedi did receive mixed reception from fans, it did generate over a billion dollars at the box office and was the top-selling home video release of 2018 before being supplanted by Black Panther a few weeks ago. Regardless, the poor reception to Solo has caused Disney execs to rethink their initial plan to release movies every year, which means we're not going to get official news on any of these other things, but it seems like Kathleen Kennedy is in the driver's seat in control. I know some people don't agree with it. And honestly, you know what? I'm just going to say it. I've liked every movie that they've done in Star Wars since Star Wars is back. I like that we have more Star Wars. And if that means Kathleen Kennedy's around for another 50 years as the head of Lucasfilms, let's fucking do it. You know, maybe some people disagree. Maybe some people think that's bad. Maybe some people think they're trying to make it about equality for everyone. And it's like, yeah, it should be about equality for everyone. You fuck stains. Everyone should have an equal slice of the pie, even if it's not equal slice or equal cut. If, 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 listen, like, people keep getting shit on all over the world. People I love have been shit on by other people who are shitty people, right? Just saying terrible, gross comments or awful things or what have you. And it's like, man, why? You know why? I, 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 it's like fucking idiots. Everybody should be cool. With everybody else. Like, if my shit isn't interrupting your shit, don't fucking worry about what I'm doing. If your shit's not fucking interfering with my shit, I don't give a shit. You know why Tyler and I get along so well? While we don't always see 100% eye-to-eye every day of the week? He's doing his thing, I'm doing my thing. 
And he's not pissed off at me because of that. And I'm not pissed off at him because of that. Do you know why Dick and I get along? Same thing. Do you know why anybody I'm friends with gets along with me that way? It's because we aren't assholes to each other. We don't try to start arguments. We aren't shitty with each other. If we disagree on something, sure, we can disagree on a view. But what you think doesn't break me. It doesn't make me less of a man because my opinion's different. So what? And I get it. Sometimes you want to like, listen... There's a certain side of these people that just are so loud that you need to shut them up by yelling louder. I get that. I do. I totally understand that. Um, but fuck them also, you know? Just fucking don't worry about their stupid. Ultimately, you got to learn how to not worry about the stupid, I guess. Let's move into some star, out of some Star Wars news into some Marvel news as we've got some interesting stuff going on here. There is a pretty interesting, and I say it's only interesting, theory that I read on Reddit yesterday, uh, regarding what Jake Gyllenhaal is, considering we're, you know, a few weeks into production now, I'm actually closer to a month, I think, of production on the Spider-Man Far From Home film, we've not officially seen what Jake Gyllenhaal is doing, what role he's playing, what part he has in this, if he is even in the movie, uh, of course, it has been confirmed he's in the movie. So this is an outlandish theory regarding Spider-Man Far From Home. I am becoming more and more convinced that Jake Gyllenhaal isn't playing Quentin Beck, Mysterio, for those of you who don't know, in Far From Home. I think he's playing Norman Osborn. I'm not suggesting that Mysterio isn't the main villain of the movie. I'm sure that he is. Uh, but I think that he's going to be played by someone else, else either J.B. Smoove or Newman Akar, who are both cast in mysteriously vague roles. Akar's character is called Dimitri, so he might be Chameleon, or it's a misdirect. I think Smoove is more likely, though. Either way, if the students are traveling throughout Europe, and if Mysterio is being villainous throughout the trip, it makes sense that uh, Mysterio is traveling with them somehow. We got a recent behind-the-scenes photo of Smoove with the students, which proves nothing, I am aware, but we haven't seen a single hint of Gyllenhaal. I know it's unlikely, but the MCU has been known to intentionally mislead us during the production process and in trailers. I think Osborn is going to be the sleeper villain for this movie. I think they're setting up a more central role for him in the third. Perhaps Norman pays for the trip to Europe for the young students and his son Harry, Remy Hyde, has just started at their school and he wants him to socialize. They meet Norman once or twice throughout the movie where we see the difficult relationship he has with his son and he takes an interest in young Peter Parker. Norman is moving his business to New York City, and the audience learns at the end of the movie that Norman has been behind the scenes pulling strings, like the mysterious Byron, Ant-Man, and the Wasp. Perhaps he helps get Matt Gargan, Scorpion, and Adrian Toomes, Vulture, out of prison. He is setting himself up to hold a lot of power, leading into a third movie with Norman as the main villain. It's a pretty interesting theory here by uh, Danish royalty on... Uh, your Reddit. I like the theory. I like the possibility that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal could be Norman Osborn because that is insane casting of the best variety. Uh, Norman Osborn is a psychopath. We've only seen him, what was that, uh, Chris, I can't think of his last name, played him in the Amazing Spider-Man movie, uh, two, Amazing Spider-Man 2, and then you see him dead but his head, and then there's a possibility he was going to come back, but they never finished that franchise. You had Willem Dafoe, obviously a great, great Green Goblin in that first Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire. 
I think Jake Gyllenhaal as Norman is a fantastic casting choice. I also think he's fantastic as Quentin Beck Mysterio, but uh, I guess we just still have to wait and see. Now, interestingly enough, there was, and I know I want to make sure to talk about it, so I don't forget here. Uh, set picks have leaked recently, and I'm not going to talk about the pigeon set leaks. Those aren't that really in, that interesting. I am going to talk about what we see in a stealth suit. Say what? Say what? Say what? Say what? Bringing the black stealth suit. Now, that is not the black symbiote suit, mind you. This is more closer to your Spider-Man Noir, even though it's not Spider-Man Noir suit. Um, but the stealth suit, the black Spider-Man stealth suit, appearing in the movie. It's going to be awesome. I think it makes a lot of sense. Spidey is... Uh, if 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 Parker is Spider-Man, and then Spider-Man ends up in the UK, and people identify him clearly, that's the American Spider-Man. All his classmates are going to be like, weird. We were just... We went to that field trip in Washington, and Spider-Man was there, and that's... Okay, look, that's... Okay, sure. I, I get behind that. And then we're in London, and Spider-Man shows up out of nowhere like... Why the fuck is he following us? And is it weird that every time Spider-Man's fighting, Peter is gone? I don't understand. Someone please explain it to me. Because I don't understand. That's some of his classmates, you know. And obviously, this is a smart play because now he's in the UK in the black suit. It's not going to be as obvious when he's stopping bad guys. So it just creates a little bit more um, of an interesting angle, I think. Uh, to speak on interesting angles, somebody who I absolutely fucking adore, Robert Kirkman, creator of The Walking Dead, uh, recently was on a Schmodcast with Kevin Smith and Scott Moser. Moser? Moser. During the show, Kirkman discusses how Infinity War just cuts out some of the things moviegoers have come to expect from feature films. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. So this is the full, I'm just going to read some quotes here between Smith and Robert Kirkman. Robert Kirkman starts saying, I love that Infinity War was not even a movie. They were just like, here's a series of events that are important to you because you know these characters. It's going to go from A to B to C to D because it's not a three-act structure. It's like, whatever, man. You're paying for an experience. There's no recap. There's no explanation as to who anyone is. You sit down in the movie, and they're just like, guess what? You've earned this. We're at, like, movie 21 now, and here we fucking go. And you're like, oh, my God, this is so great. So Smith compares this to something, saying, they treated it like a giant-sized annual, like our audience knows exactly where we are. Like, we don't have to explain to your mom anymore who Tony Stark is. We're going to start this movie after probably a scene that would have explained a lot of shit, like with the Asgardians fucking dead, and then there's Thanos himself. They have had that much faith in the audience that they're like, nah, they're following very closely. While Kirkman come to appreciate Infinity War, it didn't always start out that way. At the end of the movie, he's like, aren't you? I got my arms crossed, and I'm going, oh, yeah, Black Panther's dead. Are you fucking kidding me? Oh, really? You're in production for a second Spider-Man movie right now, and I'm supposed to be upset that Tom Holland is dying in this really emotional way? And then the movie's just over, and it's like, oh, fuck you, I'm not buying this. They're all coming back in the next movie. It's like I've read the comics. I know that they disappear and come back. Like, ah, fuck, whatever. Bah! I can't believe he ended it this way. 
However, Kirkman saw the movie one more time with his daughter, and that changes his mind on what he thought about the movie. He ultimately says, but then I see every Marvel movie two or three times in theaters because I have free time, and my daughter didn't go with me to the first time because she had something going on, so I bring my nine-year-old daughter to a second time, and she's sitting next to me. And when those people start to disappear, I look over at her, and she's, she's not crying, but it looks like she could cry. Her mouth is agape. Her eyes are open. She has a little tiny nine-year-old hands like clutching her heart and she looks at that screen going (sighs) like taking in these breaths and the emotion I saw in her I almost wept in the theater I was like oh my god this is like a movie seeing how it affected her I was like just try not to be so goddamn cynical Robert like let people enjoy a thing you know And that's something I think every comic book fan on the internet should fucking realize. Like, quit being smarter than everyone else. Quit being mean to people. Like, calm down. Let people enjoy a thing sometimes. Word, Robert Kirkman. Love to your mama, because I absolutely agree with that sentiment. And, uh, man, God, Infinity War is so good. Another delicious drink break brought to you by Poor News. Every other Tuesday on the Journey into Comics Network. We interrupt the Journey into Comics Network feed for this late-breaking edition of Poor News, featuring Andrew Poor. There's a revolutionary treatment out there right now that uses HIV to reprogram cells into fighting cancer. But that headline, I know, just drawed me right in. I was like, what in the world is this about? So this treatment uh, uses a disabled version of the virus that causes AIDS to reprogram the genes of a person's immune system and retrain to kill cancer cells. So, um, the article goes on to say, uh, Emma Whitehead, now age 7, was 5 years old when she was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Last spring, she was near death, having twice replaced her chem- from having twice relapsed from chemotherapy. But this year, she's been in remission for 7 months, has started the second grade, and has regained her childhood, according to her parents. She'll so do so with a revolutionary new treatment that appears to have allowed her own immune system to fight cancer. The treatment uses a disabled version of the virus that causes AIDS to reprogram the genes of a person's immune system or train it to kill cancer cells. Researchers remove millions of the patient's T-cells, a type of white blood cell, and insert a new gene that would allow the T-cell to kill cancerous ones. Disabled HIV is used for the treatment because the virus is good at transmitting genetic material into T-cells. Then the engineered T-cells are pumped back into the body where they are intended to attack B-cells, which turn malignant during leukemia. Through engineered cells can't can stay in the body for years, though not the same level as when fighting the disease. Emma's just one of dozens of patients and only a few children that have had this treatment. It is imperfect. The treatment itself nearly killed the second grader. It also attacks healthy B cells, so Emma needed to take immune uh, globulins regularly in order to stave off infections. It's also extremely expensive, costing currently $20,000 without a profit margin. Scientists remain uncertain about why it works and why it does not in the same cases... Still research excited about the findings and hope to perfect it. Dr. Carl June, who leads the research team at the University of Pennsylvania, ultimately hopes the technique will eliminate the need for bone marrow transplants, which is now the last resort for people with Emma's kind of cancer. The results have been mixed. Three adults with chronic leukemia have since gone into remission with no further signs of the disease. One adult has been treated too soon for researchers to be sure about his progress. Four adults were moved but did not fully go into remission. One child relapsed after the treatment, and two adults, the procedure did not cause any progress whatsoever. Still, even though those not involved with the treatment say that it's a great promise because it has worked in hopeless cases, 
Novartis, a major pharmaceutical company, is committed to $20 million for research center that would be used to bring the treatment to market. The treatment was first developed at the University of Pennsylvania, while Emma received it at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Similar techniques are being used at the National Cancer Institute and the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. So it's interesting how one thing that used to be a life sentence for certain people is now being used to stop a different life sentence for some people. So definitely showing the innovation that science can bring and maybe that not all pharmaceutical companies are bad, at least when they're developing their research. And as long as they don't put a 50 or 100 or 500% profit margin on this kind of procedure, then hopefully this will save a lot of lives in the long term. And moving from that to something that just kind of pissed me off. So this is from Fox News. This is Border Patrol agent admits to accidentally starting a 45,000 acre wildfire after gender reveal goes wrong. So a Border Patrol agent in Arizona has pleaded guilty to accidentally starting a massive wildfire last year while off-duty at his wife's gender reveal party. Dennis Dickey, 37 of Tucson, admitted Friday to igniting the Sam Sawmill fire, which burned more than 45,000 acres and caused $8 million worth of damage in April of 2017. As part of the gender reveal, Dickey shot a rifle at a target containing tannerite at highly explosive suspense, which was meant to explode with colored powder upon impact. It was a complete accident, Dickey told Judge Friday, according to the New York Post, if absolutely horrible about it, it was probably one of the worst days of my life. Unusually high winds of around 40 miles per hour and lower than average rainfall contributed to the fire's growth, which took about a week to contain. Dickey, who immediately called the fire department and admitted to starting the fire, was charged with a misdemeanor for violating U.S. Forest Service regulations. He has been sentenced to five years probation and will require to pay $8,188,069 in restitution. We will also be making a public service announcement with the U.S. Forest Service concerning the cause of the fire. Yeah, I just... For one, I really hate the idea of a gender reveal. Like, I don't know why this became a new fad where it's like, oh, I need to have a pinata full of blue or pink confetti, or I need to make an explosion or light off fireworks. I get it. You want to make this a big ordeal to reveal a gender of your baby. I get it. But why does it need to be this big spectacle? Why can't it be as simple as, oh, this is a white, a cake with white icing that when we cut into it's going to reveal a blue or pink cake. Why can't it be as simple as that? Or something small, something that just doesn't involve burning 45,000 acres of forest in Arizona. Like, just use your head. Like, no one should involve, like, oh, it's a reveal of my baby. I'm going to shoot this gun at a giant ball of ignitable or combustible material to reveal the gender of my baby. No, just stop with this obnoxiousness. Like, this wasn't something that our parents did for us. This wasn't something that other people did. It's just bonkers. Like, if any of my friends out there are pregnant, anyone that's listening to the show are pregnant, just do something silver gender reveal. People are going to be excited either way. You don't need to make it a bigger deal. You don't need to have it in skywriting from an airplane. It's not like you're doing a... It's like those big promposal stuff or the really over-the-top wedding proposals. Like, keep it simple and intimate. It's what it was meant to be. It used to be that... The gender, reveal can, the gender reveal usually involved you, your spouse, and the doctor that was telling you what the gender was. It didn't need to be this big to-do. And yeah, that's just annoying. Like, this is where this kind of stupid shenanigans goes wrong. And it just annoys me that something... They're probably like, oh, this will be great. I'll shoot a gun. It'll explode in colors and it'll look awesome. And then we get to go party and whatnot after. It's like, let's just set off napalm and then i'll have green and blue and pink and all these sparkles and then it'll be a big old like no just 
do something simple. It's just a baby reveal. It doesn't need to be this big pomp and circumstance event. All right. Well, that's enough of that. Moving on to... Oh, I'm going to save this article. I'm going to push this out to the end. I'm going to kind of save all this for... Um, since it's kind of related to what I want to talk about at the end. And this is involving someone else who kind of has been annoying me lately. And that is Michael Avenatti. The name you probably heard a lot of lately and then didn't hear anything about him even a year ago. He came into at least my public knowledge of his existence as Stormy Daniels' attorney. Stormy Daniels was the stripper. Uh, she wasn't a she was a, I think she was a stripper or a prostitute that was linked to Donald Trump. And there's that whole thing about the investigation. And then he has not left the public eye since this happened. He has been fighting tooth and nail, representing all this stuff and posting on social media and all this and just try there. And then there's been like talks of him wanting to be run for president in 2020. Like, I don't know who this, this guy thinks he is, but that is not how you become president. It may have worked once, but just stop. So Democratic lawyer, this is the article from slate. So Democratic lawyer in perspective, 2020 presidential, Presidential candidate Michael Avenatti represents a woman named Julia Swetnick who has made grave accusations of sexual misconduct against Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. Swetnick says she attended parties with Kavanaugh and his friend Mark Judge in the early 80s at which the pair targeted girls who spiked drinks then took advantage of them sexually. She said she was raped by multiple people at one such gathering. Kavanaugh and Judge denied involvement in such activities and to be clear Swetnick did not say they were among the individuals who raped her. Merely they were present on the night she was attacked. Avenatti has handled these timely and serious allegations as if he was marketing a new Cloverfield movie. The woman, uh, he posted a picture on his social media that had hashtag truth, hashtag facts, hashtag courage, hashtag justice. Uh, it showed a picture of two women. Uh, the woman on the right is NBC's Kate Snow, which makes this what it's, it's like the first ever instance of cryptic hashtag saturated promotional still being used to hype a news interview about being drugged and sexually assaulted. A nice tweet, which for a time appeared on his Twitter feed, just below his pinned list of seemingly 2020-minded campaign positions, is not just in poor taste, it also highlights the tactical, questionable way he's handled Swetnick's allegations. Avenatti first publicized her account last Wednesday by posting her sworn declarations on Twitter. While such a formal document is credible in and of itself, NBC appeared to be the first media outlet that Swetnick has spoken to at length, and source told CNN's Brian Selter that never still verifying details related to her story. That means at least five days will have passed between the announcement of her allegations and the first independent reporting that includes an interview with her five days during which Kavanaugh's nomination passed out of the Senate Judiciary Committee and the FBI reopened a background check into him that doesn't appear likely to address her claims. In the meantime, though, Avenatti did find time to tweet confrontationally at Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell, Senator Lindsey Graham, Senator Chuck Grassley, Fox News' Laura Ingram, said he enjoyed embarrassing Ingram by bringing more information about Swenick to light, and NBC's Megyn Kelly. Wait, did I say five days? That's just who Avenatti has tweeted at since Sunday morning. Before that, he also picked fights related to Swetnick's charges with Senator Ted Cruz, Fox News legal pundit Alan Dershowitz, Fox News host Tucker Carlson, former Trump attorney Michael Cohen, and Donald Trump Jr. This openly partisan approach has had the predictable results of incentivizing Republicans who are calling the shots on the FBI investigation to ignore Swetnick's allegations as the work of a porn lawyer. They would have wanted to ignore the allegations anyway, of course, but concerned that Kavanaugh's second accuser, Deborah Mears, who went publicly via New York New Yorker story that featured material supporting the plausibility of her story, subsequently was included on the list of witnesses to be contacted during the reopened FBI investigation. Ramirez, who lives in Colorado, has been represented by Boulder attorneys John Clune and Stanley Garnett and D.C. attorneys William Pittard. Public pressure to hear out Kavanaugh's first accuser, Christine Blasey Ford, 
who is represented by Democratic attorney Deborah Katz, but who came forward by speaking to the Washington Post, was strong enough that the Republicans invited her to testify before Congress. Not everything about the timing of Swetnick's case is under Avenatti's control, of course. She may have felt compelled to speak up in part to support the other women making allegations, but Avenatti doesn't have discretion over the way he discussed Swetnick's claims in public, and the way he's doing so indicates these sees them in large parts instrument which, with which to rally his liberal Twitter fans against Fox News and the Republican Party. In a confirmation process that hinged on the votes of moderate Republican Senators Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, who are more likely to care about the opinions of independent voters than MSNBC loyalists, that's not just tasteless, it's self-defeating. Yeah, it seems like he's just stirring the pot and trying to push... He's, he's found something to latch on to to help push him, and that's why it's, uh, like this article says... Michael Avenatti is doing his best to make all this about Michael Avenatti, which it seems to be clear that case. He needs to disappear back into the hole he came out of. I'm just kind of sick of hearing about him. He's just a lawyer. You should be doing your job as a lawyer and not trying to propel yourself into the political atmosphere just because you made headlines in one pretty monumental case. Like, just stop. Like, I'm sick of these self-important people thinking that just because... They're in the public spotlight for doing their job that that entitles them to make the next step to be president. Like, just stick with what you're good at and stop throwing it down our throats. And moving on to something that kind of came out of nowhere that I really wasn't paying attention to. That involves the U.S. and Canada struck a deal on replacing NAFTA at the last minute. And here's what you need to know. This is an article from Fortune magazine, so it kind of shows the business side of things. So NAFTA is dead. Long live the United States-Mexico-Canada Agreement, or USMCA, which is such a worse title. NAFTA was so easy to say. No, you can't... What are you going to say? USMCA? No, you have to say USMCA, which... Uh, that's... Rebranding, that's all it is. A little over a month after the US and Mexico struck a preliminary agreement on NAFTA's replacement, the US and Canada did the same late Sunday as hope. The timing means outgoing Mexican President Enrique Peña Nieto gets to sign the USMCA into law just before leaving office. Today, Canada and the United States reached an agreement alongside Mexico on a new modernized trade agreement for the 21st century. The United States-Mexico-Canada Agreement, or USMCA, said U.S. Trade Representative Robert Leithizer and Canadian Foreign Affairs Minister Christia Freeland in a joint statement. The statement reads, USMCA will give our workers, farmers, ranchers, and businesses a high-standard trade agreement that will result in freer markets, fairer trade, and robust economic growth in our region. It will strengthen the middle class and create good, well-paying jobs and new opportunities for the nearly half billion people who called North America home. We look forward to further deepening our close economic ties when this new agreement enters into force. As for what led the U.S.-Canadian negotiations to a successful finish, a U.S. official briefed reporters that the U.S. won greater access to the Canadian dairy market in part via an increase in Canadian dairy import quotas. Conversely, Canada won on its demand to maintain NAFTA's Chapter 19, Dispute resolution mechanism would ban that the U.S. opposed because it saw the mechanism as infringing on U.S. sovereignty. Canada also got away without the imposition of hard limits on its auto exports to the U.S. However, according to CBC, the Canadians may still be subject to U.S. steel and aluminum tariffs that are keen to sell that issue before ratifying the USMCA. The New Deal reportedly also includes new elements on digital trade and intellectual property. The achievement of a trilateral trade deal makes it more likely the USMCA will gain approval in Congress, which gets to scrutinize the pact once Leaders of all three countries have signed it by the end of November, after the election, just for you paying attention to the world of politics. If Congress, which may look very different after the looming midterms, fails to ratify the USMCA, it can't enter into force. So they're putting it off to the end of November because in case things happen with the midterms and there is a switch in 
they may have to revisit this. But we'll have to see kind of how this shakes out in the end of November. Red meat, we crave sustenance. Guys, we are not invading my aunt. We are. We are at uh, Casa de Pua. We're with uh, AP and his lovely lady Liz. Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, yeah. thanks for coming out here. It's actually the first time we've recorded anything at the dining room table, which yeah. is cool. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Cool. We usually go in our family room mm-hmm. and we have the like, because we have those like cup holders in our couch so and that's where we put the mic there and, and we, we sit just sit there. there. <laughs> Get comfy. That's actually mm-hmm. very smart. Uh, for those of you who don't know who are listening, Liz and AP co-host together on Adulting Ain't Easy, which will now be opposite this show every other Wednesday on the Journey into Comics Network. Mm -hmm. So we have to every week now. Yeah. Yeah. Liz, or at least myself. Yeah. Maybe Liz. Who knows? I love love listening to you, Liz. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I love love what you contribute to the network. Gosh, how I just like... I don't even know, like poke at Andrew. Yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's like every day. It's not even. It's not even. That's why your podcast works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> feel the love. Also joining us today, Miss Sarah Van Laningham. How's it going, girl? Hi. <laughs> Welcome you. to Foodies. Uh, yeah, I think I've been on like once or twice. Yeah, you, that's it. You've been making the rounds on the podcast lately, uh, Gallif Radio. Yeah, that's been fun. Yeah, I've been enjoying having you as a co-host for that show. Mm. Your knowledge of Doctor, Doctor Who, Who is yeah. uh, unlimited and. Well, before, yeah. yeah, I know things. <laughs> <laughs> you play piano and you know things. Like Not pretty much. I I just was with you guys yesterday because I listened to three and four back to back at work. Oh, okay. so oh. I was radio. Like, I was with you guys. But it's like, no, I was just listening mm-hmm. to nice. a conversation you were having without me. And I was hanging out with you guys Sorry. last Wednesday, I guess, if that's how mm-hmm. we're looking. Or actually, this Wednesday, right? Yeah, it was this Wednesday, episode 10, Wedding Traditions. Yeah, I love a podcast oh, yeah. that feels like you're kind of listening in on a conversation. It may make it definitely makes it better, mm-hmm. you know, when you kind of get lost in. Uh, you're like, man, these are my friends, but like, I feel like I'm there and they're just telling me this story. This is great. That's why, like, I'll mm-hmm. Facebook message you, I'll listen to it, like, there's like comments, like a commentary of what you're talking about. Or you'll ask me arbitrary questions at like 6:47 in the goddamn morning while I'm still asleep. Like, hey, <laughs> what did you mean on Journey into Comics when you said this? And I was like, so look, I'm at work and I'm just like. What is he talking about? Send a message. So I'm like taking my morning pee, going, "What the? F- what does this say?" <laughs> Rub my eyes a couple times. AP, why is this important at six forty-seven? Yeah, yes, correct. Uh, so then I'm like texting back like a loose, very nondescriptive response to you, and then crashing. And I'll respond later when I'm more alive. Also joining us on the podcast today, let's not forget our special guest, the Doggo Max. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, currently Max. bouncing around a ball around our feet. And, he's uh, the he's, dog of our existence. He reminds, <laughs> yeah, he reminds me of uh, the dog Max from the cartoon How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Yes, that's why we named him Max. Oh, really? Because we was a puppy. Just... Mm, perfect. Yeah, right before Christmas. Right and... <laughs> Poor Max, we'll play with you later. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> what have you guys been doing since we've been off? Uh... Doing well, adulting ain't easy. Doing our adult, yeah. We've <laughs> You've been doing whole, a lot. We have been Jeez. busy uh, with the house stuff and all that. But at least since we've been living together, we've actually watched a lot more stuff, either with TV and movies. Yeah, especially last week. We watched like three... No, probably in the last couple of weeks, we've watched at least three or four movies. Just <laughs> mostly DVD, though. Yeah, yeah, we... Yeah, we've actually... I'm trying to think of the number, but yeah, we... Have rented a few that have been good, and we've gone to the theater. And yeah. what did you see at the theater? 
We saw Searching. I think it was the last movie we saw in the theater. Oh yeah, it was super good. Searching. I recommend it. Searching was that John Cho movie about his daughter uh, goes missing. It's the the whole movie is framed through like almost, through a screen. Yeah, so it's like, like Unfriended. If you've ever saw Unfriended, Mm-mm. so the whole thing is like it's either through like FaceTime or through like Skype. And like if he's like texting someone, the text pops up on the screen and typing and all it's that. It's like through a Mac. Yeah, like Weird. the opening ten minutes of the movie are sadder than up in terms Ooh. of like how it frames it, but it's no all thanks. like their lives, but it's as so and so it's like oh, it's like pictures of them, then like, oh, setting up an account for their daughter, and then like it's go it just <clears throat> it kind of evolves and shows like their lives through screens, like through calendar events and through installing like windows xp and then like taking pictures of themselves as a little kid and like home videos and stuff it's really kind of cool interesting i really would recommend it like i haven't it, heard so of many movie. twists and turns it, th- i think the only reason we heard about it was through facebook believe it or not mm-hmm. okay well we'll check that out it sounds yeah, it's, interesting it's not, i think it's i don't like sad shit though it's hard that's a me. really good it's it's a definitely much a thriller like yeah oh, okay. it'll, it'll draw like i had my parents go see it my parents are some hit or miss with movies i like and they both loved it so Hmm. So it's like a social media thriller. It, it's it's I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like social media. It's, it's like technology. Like, oh, technology. So it's kind of like taken, but through screens, kind of. Mm, okay. A little bit, yeah. But not as actiony. So taken screenshots. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, ha. You, really get a, if you watch the trailer, it'll give you all the information you need. Okay. About well, we'll how check it's out the framed. trailer at some point. So out of five stars for our for our listeners, what would you just like gut shot reaction? Uh, is this something that is rush out to the theater? Do people need to just go ahead and wait till Netflix gets it? Um. Give it like a four and a half. I think it's really good. Oh, that's high marks. Yeah, yeah. it was really good. I mean, you were literally. Because I know, like with some horror movies, like you just, you sit there and sometimes it can feel long. Like this one, it was like, it was very like action packed on the edge of your seat. Mm-hmm. Um, just like you didn't, there were a lot of twists and turns and you didn't know, you couldn't really tell what way this was right. going. There was a lot of false, like you, a lot of the times you thought it was going to go a certain direction that it didn't. And I wouldn't really call it a horror, but it was very intense. But it's one of those movies I don't think you can watch a second time because once you know the actual ending, you can't watch it the same way. That's true, but I think it's still a good movie. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Sometimes I think watching a movie a second time through that lens, though, makes it even better because you start picking up, oh my gosh, they gave it away 30 seconds into the movie. You could have told, right. you know, That's no. how I felt about that movie Get Out. Like, I loved it the first time, yes. but then the second time I saw it, I was just like, whoa. You pick up a lot of little details. It's all in subtle nuance, man. So when you talk about it, it took me to like, the second watch, I noticed they all had like the scars here. Like I just didn't notice that at first. Mm. Yeah, yeah, all the family members had the scars. That was a freaky movie. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think <laughs> uh, to we counter wa- what. Did yeah, we, wa- we watched a lot of movies this summer. Like at home, we didn't really go to the theater much. And they all are either comedy or action based, kinda. Yeah, they were all your picks. That's why. <laughs> I was looking for uplifting. And actually, I have a, a documentary, too, that I watched that was that was great that we can get into. Okay. Uh, you watched that with me, right? The Perfect Bid? I told you to watch yeah. that. We did watch it. We yeah. watched it the we other day. We watched it. Oh. Yeah. Uh, it was one of the days you were in lessons just in the middle that we just threw it on. And uh, have you guys seen that, The Perfect Bid? No. Mm-mm. Okay, so it's on Hulu. Okay. And it's about this guy, Terry who his whole life studied The Price is Right. 
So much so that he would literally document every price for every item that was on every single day. As a hobby. As a hobby. He made a computer program. And eventually yeah. he yeah. makes a computer program that he like created a Price is Right game where he could just price check and match to see if for he could. For himself. For himself. For his own enjoyment. Oh, because he liked it. So then he starts going to tapings and not getting on, but helping other people win and get exact bids and stuff like that. And if like you calling guys, out the right numbers, you know? And people are getting perfect bids, which give you an additional $100 and so on and so forth. So the, the whole thing sets up like his big chance to go on The Price is Right. And he does good, but the showcase showdown happens and he doesn't get enough to actually go to the showcase showdown when they do the spin on the big wheel. So then he kind of is done. He's had his time. Ten years goes by, and Drew Carey gets the opportunity now to be the host instead of Bob Barker. And after that, they made it where if you'd been more than ten years since you had been on the show, you could get on the show again. So this dude goes back again. He's like, uh, his name's Theodore, actually, but he's like, I'm going to get on the show again. He's talking to this other guy in their price gaming and whatever, and... This other dude goes all the way to the showcase showdown, goes all the way to to the final, to his bid, and the great controversy of the movie is, how did he know the exact, to the dollar, perfect bid in the showcase showdown? It'd never been done before. Literally perfect. And it's everything that they kind of like... Everything stopped probably when that happened. Oh yeah, it took like they took like a twenty minute break from TV, and we're like, "What do we do? We got it right." And it was like, "Well, we're just gonna let him win now, and then we're gonna have to, you know, go into it, it. and investigate it." The guy who actually won claims he came up with the bid by himself. Theodore, who was sitting in the front row, was screaming that exact number amount, and there are witnesses that corroborate that he was. Wasn't it to help the other lady or something? No, it was to help the dude. Oh, it was to help him. He was just like. In he was his, just helping. Yeah, because he was like in his head going, okay, because he's also a mathematics professor, so he's really good and fast oh, so with numbers too. So he can quickly just go, okay, well, this is on there, this prize, that feature, okay, it's probably this price, and just threw it out there. And there's no rule in the prices, right, that says, you know, people can't scream out numbers and you can't take their their suggestions. You watch prices, right? Like everyone's doing it. Everybody's that. doing it. Everyone's and people are looking to the audience to get like help, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's not like he did anything wrong. Right. If he's throwing out a wrong number, it wouldn't have mattered. Exactly. If he's off by a dollar, it doesn't necessarily matter. It's like, oh, wow, you're pretty close. But to to the... It was like 26,723. That's a pretty exact number. Right. Like, this one's like you knew the number ahead of time. And that's probably why they're like... uh... And they had also thought, because people were mad uh, that Bob Barker had left, that they were trying to sabotage Drew Carey. Oh. So, like, they thought a fan and uh, somebody who was working on the inside was giving him information of what the showcase showdown would be, and that wasn't the case. Like, so it's crazy. It is genuinely crazy. Is there a resolution at the end of the... It was a great documentary. I think you should just watch it. And actually, I only found this documentary because this one, Sarah... You watched it first, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found it. Did you just on, scroll through uh, and like, what is this? And then just watch yeah, it. Yeah. I saw Price is Right. I used to watch that all the time. But um, yeah, it was good. Hopefully I did a good, good representation of what it's about. It does yeah. sound interesting. It was have, really good. I enjoyed it. I, th- I was like, yeah. I was rooting for them. <laughs> Except the guy at the end. Yeah. And like, that's yeah, he's, he's a scumbag. Because yeah. he claims that he got the perfect bid by himself. And he no said one that him, him and his wife played like... Uh, retail shopping games at home to like practice mm-hmm. uh, what prices uh-huh, are, sure. you know, on current products that they use That's on the game. Works. Yeah, like he's, he came up with this whole like elaborate thing. I mean, no, I 
I don't know if he's lying or not, but I think he is. Well, when you see Theodore's story and the amount of people that he right. like actually helped, mm-hmm. he helped lots of people. Yeah, he win loved money it. On the price, yeah, because right? he thought it was fun. There, yeah, and there was this one kid uh, that they talk about specifically that he like he went there on the Price is Right to have a certain experience. He said, "I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this." Mm-hmm. Every single thing came true, and wow. Theodore helped him with part of that. Mm-hmm. Which one of those things that was checked off was getting the, the, the perfect bid to go up to the next thing. So he won the $100 in the showcase. Well, not the showcase. What is that? The the very first part of the price is right. What's that first sec- segment called? Mm, I don't know. Is that usually where they pick the Contestants row. Yeah, contestants row, the pricing game. Yeah. Right? yeah. Which was like a dollar more than what the person previous to Just so in case it's the... Jackasses. I always hated people like that. Would 12. You? 12.01. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Well, so this is all you need. A- actual retail price, twelve thirteen. Mm-hmm. Rid. This motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> back to it. Another thing you guys have recently seen. Anything uh, worth noting? The Meg. Oh, the Meg. I loved, I'm such like a shark person in terms of like <laughs> when Shark Week comes on, it's like, that's what I want to watch all the time. Like I record all of it. I didn't jam? do it. Yeah, I didn't do it too much this year because of all the stuff going on here, but whenever a new shark movie comes out, I really like to see it. Not like, I mean, sharks freak me out, but just like (laughs) seeing how real it is, like the Meg was, was really good. So that's Mm -hmm. based on an actual shark that existed, right? Yes. Yes. The Megalodon. Mm -hmm. Whoa. And it's based on a, like, and I did some research on, I think I touched a brief on like Pornertainment, I think when I first saw it, but it was uh, basically the guy like wrote the book and then like, so just kept picking it up and not be able to do anything with it. So it's, it was like, 10 years it was sitting like in development dropped by studios picked back up and mm-hmm. statham's in that yeah he's mm-hmm. the star uh-huh and, and then he, they, yeah. they used a lot of they tried to get a, a big uh chunk of the asian market so they had cast famous actors from china i think and then i think set it in over there so it yeah then jay Statham was gonna draw the u.s crowd and then they could get more international business by having yeah I, like that. I think i think china's the largest movie market now i think they've passed the u.s yeah, definitely. They've they've per capita they do bigger numbers. Especially since they can't the Chinese market only accepts a certain amount of of US films each year. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and not everything makes it over there. Right. Obviously. Didn't uh wasn't Deadpool two that didn't they didn't like it for some weird reason? I don't, I don't know. I'd have to there was one weird movie, that, like for some weird detail, they couldn't, they wouldn't take it over there. We'll figure that out in a minute because I have more Deadpool stuff we want to discuss today, but. Uh, the Meg. Let's get back to it. Thoughts? Rating? Uh, yeah, stuff like that. Worth seeing or I worth think it's seeing worth seeing. Um, it's definitely more like sci- like true to science than some of the other movie shark movies that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen really some like pretty it. awful shark movies. Actually, yes. when Sarah and I went to LA a couple months ago, we were at this. Uh, record store amoeba records and upstairs mm-hmm. they have a big movie section like oh you guys your minds would have been blown seeing oh, yeah. all the different collections of movies they had for sale there and they had one whole section of shark exploitation films <laughs> yeah it was huh. a it was a genre it's tabbed a, off and everything genre yeah. of shark exploitation films and i was looking through them and i was like oh these look fucking wretched we're gonna fuck the And this is 
Mr. Matt Wilcox. One of my favorite guests on the show ever. Hola, mis amigos. How you doing? What, you, right. what are you doing in town? I didn't even know you were in town. Yeah, I'm uh, You're just I mean, like, hey, I can do a show tonight. I'm like, Yeah, okay. well, I saw your thing. <laughs> I was talking to Scott That's kind of how yesterday. it went last time, too. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. <laughs> I just... I just kind of answered the call, you know. That's that's well, my plan. He he's a he's a lurker. Well, last time, wait, wasn't <laughs> he's lurking? Wasn't When's last he time? Fucking say? Okay, so last time you were technically on the show, it was Fool's Week, and we were. I was the host. Yeah, yes. you were the host of Podcaster Fee. Yeah. <laughs> I'm your normal host anyway. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Fucking yeah. normie. Yeah, get your get your stuff together, boy. So Damn. you know, normally normally you start the show by asking me how I'm doing and how my week's going. Hey Tyler, and I'm, no, doing, no, 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 no! I don't want you to ask me, because you ask me every week, and I always give like the same like blase response, like, Good "Oh, word. my life's really busy." And excellent verbiage. Thank you. Um, I was a verb once, but uh, <laughs> I was gonna ask you how you were doing, but then you you started to patronize me when I said you always ask me how my week's going. So now I'm not going to because I don't care anymore. Yeah, fuck you. What have you been up to, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a. It's been a while. I've just been living life, you know. How's yeah. how's life out in the fucking great blue yonder? Um, Chicago sucks. Um, so you're back in Chicago. I've lived in Chicago for a while. Um, I was going up to Minnesota for a bit. That was okay. the last time I spoke to you. Yeah. And then I came back from Minnesota after about a month and a half because I was like. Dude, living in a hotel is awful. Oh, it is awful. Yeah. It's fucking awful. And I was having a little bit of health problems, because for those of you that don't know, I'm epileptic. So I was having a little bit of health issues, so moved back to Chicago and uh, was with the wife. That way I had at least somebody to take care of me if I had an episode. Right. Been kind of just doing my thing up in Chicago. That's really about it. Uh, currently, me and the wife are... Thinking about moving back to Lafayette, yeah, like soon-ish. Terrible decision. Well, it's it's again. <laughs> God, I hate this place. I, you do, until you go to someplace much worse. Like yeah, Chicago. but there's places better. There is, but this is like a home base. They're regrouping. <laughs> it's, it, exactly. It, okay, <laughs> if you're gonna use this dump to springboard off like into prosperity, I totally support you, my man. Like, basically, this is, like he said, it's a regroup, because I've been having, again, some issues with my health, and it's a comeback, get that shit in order, and then maybe go to Indy. That way, it puts us kind of in between where both of our families are at, because she's from southern Indiana. Indy's not terrible, in the right spots. Well, I mean, we're looking probably suburbs. Yeah, if you hit the outskirts, like... Noblesville, Fishers, Fishers Westfield, yeah. Avon. Well, we were looking at a place I think it was called Greenwood. I want to Greenwood's say Greenwood. not bad. Yeah, Greenwood's yeah. not terrible. It, it's kind of small town. I mean, so. it's 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 about as small town as you can get in the greater metropolitan fucking Indianapolis area. Fucking comments are getting lit up with Minnesota. Yeah, well, went to, <laughs> I went to Minnesota. People actually talk like that up there. Yeah, I know. It's great. And uh, <laughs> it's one of my favorite bu- things. How many bubblers did you hit, pal? They're absurdly nice. Like. I had had the best service in my life at the Best Buy up in Minnesota. How long did it ta- did it take them to say goodbye every time you left anything? Uh, honestly, not that long. Really? Yeah. The Minnesota long good- the Minnesota long goodbye is like famous. Mm-hmm. Like you got to stay overnight and everything. I never had that issue. <laughs> then you got to stay for breakfast. Then you got to stay for breakfast. <laughs> then you got to stay for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen this video? Yes. Oh, We've my- talked about it on the show. Oh my god, it's hilarious. <laughs> 
There's this video, and it's this guy trying to explain how to be Minnesotan. I don't think I've seen this video. There, there's like it's one, pretty good. It's like a half hour long. Yeah. And at one point, they're they're talking about how you, how to have a conversation with someone on the street. It's like, it's like, you both face the street, and you are 45 degree angles towards each other, but never directly toward each other. Mm-hmm. You never make eye contact, but you're extremely polite. And you'll never talk over the other person. Oh, yes. no, everybody's <laughs> extremely polite. It's ridiculous. It was uncomfortable how nice people were. And honestly, I was. But specifically was at. A bit over it. Specifically <laughs> at the Minnesota Best Buy. Yeah, man. Like, I went in there, and because I needed. Basically, I needed a USB to Type C cable. Mm-hmm. I went in there, and the guy comes up to me and he's like, hey, can I help you find something there? And I'm like. I'm um, looking for a Type-C to USB. And he's like, oh, yeah, they're right over here. Let me show you where they are. <laughs> Get over there. I like and how they use Ds instead of Ts. Yeah. Because they do do that. Yes, they do. Over there. Over there. Yeah. So I'm like at the cables, and he's like, yeah, you got this one right here, and you can do this with it. And I'm like, I I, I know what I'm doing, man. Like, do you, you remember know? Kevin? Which one? Minnesota guy at Fezzer Yeah, Ron. I didn't know that guy. I remember him. Yeah, he got really drunk when we went to see The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, and our he invited Justin, himself along, too. Yeah, our friend Justin was going to beat the shit out of him. It was funny as hell. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, he's like, oh, hey, guys. What are you guys doing? We were, like, literally on our way to the cars to go last second to the... the it was opening night. Yeah. And it. <laughs> he's like, oh, care if I join? Yeah, sure, dude. You can get a ticket, which he got a ticket somehow. Then he passed out in the middle of the movie. No, not even in the middle. It was like 15 minutes in. Was it 15 in? And he was out the whole movie. Yeah, he was out the whole movie. Cause Occasionally I remember... he would... <sighs> well, I just remember like <laughs> at the end of it, we looked over at him and he was asleep. And like the kids Subject. in front of us like looked up at him and said, How the fuck do you fall asleep during that? And we're just like, I don't know. It's from Minnesota, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Minnesota thing. I guess. Dude, I remember the one time exactly I made... what it was. Yeah. I remember the one time I made fun of his Crocs. <laughs> you weren't there for I that, were you? I wasn't there for that. Uh, so he, this guy was like uh, mine and our friend Justin's neighbor at Pheasant Run. Okay. Our bottom floor neighbor. And he had like the studio, like one room apartment. And uh, one time I just noticed he, had, he was wearing Crocs. And I was like, what the fuck are those? <laughs> He's like, what? And I was like, you're wearing Crocs, dude. <laughs> He's like... Yeah, my mom and dad got them for me. What's wrong with them? <laughs> I'm going pickles right now. That's not that's not Minnesota. Yeah, that's not Minnesota at all. But hey, it's all right. It's been a while since I've done Minnesota or you know made fun of him. It's all right, there, bub. Uh, <laughs> how many how many times did you get bubbed in one sentence? Not really. Not, I don't not too think because that's that's well, more of a Wisconsin that. thing. That's more of a Wisconsin thing. Well, here's the thing. Like where I worked at in Minnesota, there actually wasn't that many people from Minnesota. Like okay. we had like three people in our entire office that were born and raised there, and those were the people that had the accent. Everybody else was like from fucking San Francisco and shit, and so like I didn't experience much, but like I went out to a couple bars with a few of these guys, and yeah, it was weird. One lady brought a fucking pet snake to a bar. Yeah, and like, that's fucking that's typical Minnesota yeah, right and there. She was like, "Do you want to hold my snake? I'm terrified of snakes." And I'm like, "No, get that fucking thing away from me." <laughs> and then we got into like me and this dude got into this big old religious debate. Um, I just I was minding my business, and he started 
like going like very hateful at people who are religious and i just said hey man like this I, there's no need man i'm like like i believe in god like that's all i said and he just kept like ripping into me about it he's like how can you believe in a person that's a literal motherfucker and i was just <laughs> like what is your fucking problem man God is God is like a motherfucker. How could you believe in him? And I, he was like, and I pointed out the thing. I was like, you know, you realize there's no such thing as actual like scientific like law. Everything is a theory mm-hmm. because we don't actually know. Right. Like we have good evidence, but we don't actually know. And he was like, yes, you do because there's experiments and stuff. And I was like, again, we have evidence, but. That's just the lull of large numbers. Who's to say it's not fucked up one other time, you know? Right. I don't know. I was just like, listen, man, like, you can believe whatever you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. I'm not hating on you for whatever, dude. Like, yeah. You do your thing. I'll do mine. But he just wouldn't drop it. And I had some guy, like, I was driving us to the other bar. And I had this other dude in the backseat. And he just kept going, yeah, look out the window. <laughs> Like, he was so uncomfortable, and I felt terrible for him. But, whatever. Fuck that other dude. Hey, look at that window. Look out the window. Yeah, they were really, he was really drunk. But he was just really just so uncomfortable, he was trying to get us to talk about anything. And we went to go karaoke. Oh. And, like, by the time I got to karaoke, I was so not in the fucking mood to karaoke that I actually just left them. I was like, fuck you guys, you can get an Uber back. I'm out. Pretty much. It's almost how it, exactly how it went down. I'm sorry you didn't get to karaoke. I am too. I was going to see an Irish by Goo Goo Dolls. Nice. It's one of the go-tos. Nice. I'm, I'm not a karaoke gay. I'm a karaoke gay. I mean, if if Blaine if Blaine and I were out on the a fucking night of debauchery and he said, hey, we're going to go do some karaoke, okay, I'll go. <laughs> and then if he said, hey, I picked your song out and I looked up and it was... Country Roads by John Denver. How can I resist? <laughs> I'm not going to deny this. I, fucking I'm not going to deny myself this pleasure. By Elton John. I'm fucking up there. <laughs> Dude, I'm pretty much... I love karaoke so much that I might as well be Asian. So, like... Really? I love it. Like, I don't get to go often because no one else likes to do it. But... I mean, that's at least... You, you, you can at least understand why no one else no, likes to do it. No, I understand. But it just makes me so sad. Civilized people typically don't like to do it. I'm not civilized. Well, like it's usually it's usually like the lower I'm a the lower the lower echelon of society that likes. Are you karaoke. saying that Asian people are the lower echelon of society? It's 2018. <laughs> you're a racist. I didn't say that. You I did bigot. Not. I'm sorry. I think you're I'm a Nazi. You offended me. But uh, yeah, like for me, part of it. Like, I don't have so much social anxiety, and I've gotten my overall anxiety issues under control the last couple of years. Lucky. But you know, it was <laughs> it was tough. And for me, it, all it was was a career change and getting sleep. Those two things fucking fixed me 90%. Um, I mean, for a while, it was to the point where I couldn't function around other human beings. Because my anxiety meter was hitting the fucking rev limiter 24 that's, hours a day. That's where I'm at in Chicago right now. Like, I'm on edge 24-7 mm-hmm. whenever I'm, like, downtown or anywhere. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm ready to fist fight somebody on oh, an yeah. instant basis. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember in April, we were going to a bar with a friend of mine, um, and 
we're all like talking, going down the street, and then some guy comes up to us and just says, "You want to say that to my face?" We're not even fucking talking about him. And then, like, luckily my friend is just like, "Yo, no, we're good, man." And we, he just kept walking, while me, on the other hand, I'm about to just ground and pound the shit out of this mm-hmm. dude because I got about forty five pounds on him, mm-hmm. and I got a beard, so I should do something. Like this kid's probably in college. Like a freshman in college, I'm gonna fuck him up. I tried to fight a guy once for wearing salmon-colored shorts, so I totally understand, <laughs> my man. I would, I'm right there. Like, like you and I might actually be the same human being. We might be. We both have beards. We both have Patriots hats on. Yeah, both, both extremely handsome men. God damn right we are. Honestly, yeah. Can you hand me my other Corona, please? I even asked nicely. I didn't even have a beer. Thank you, my good Would sir. Would you like a beer? Sure, why not? <laughs> why sure, pal? Would you like a zombie dust? I don't care. Just give me something. I'll just drink it. <laughs> I also have Pepsi if you don't want beer. Just give me something. I have a water bottle right here, too. Well, you're going to get some good, delicious, alcoholic beverages. All right. So, yeah, like for me, the karaoke thing, it's like, yeah, I'm out with people that I want. And then the social anxiety Thank that you, I never have. You get up there on stage and it's like, whoa. I don't feel comfortable up here. See, my thing is, like, at karaoke, how many people are actually good? None. No uh, one is but, good at karaoke. But my luck, I'm always going to be at the karaoke bar with that one fucking guy. That one fucking guy that's just up there killing it. That makes karaoke his life. Yes, that is just fucking killing it. Have you ever noticed, like, the the chicks who sing country music are like they all have the exact same voice. Yes, they all. It's always the same generic Listen, karaoke. Big, I like I like yeah, country music. Nothing, but I'm not saying anything music about country music. Mostly sounds the same mm-hmm. from singer to singer. Oh yeah. I mean, honestly, it's also the same with almost any genre of music anymore, especially like uh, hip hop and pop music mm-hmm. because of so much auto tune. Right. And tempo. It's ninety percent the computer. So, I don't know. That's just kind of the. I've I've really grown away from music the older I get, because I just to me it sounds all the same. Yeah. Well, I I think, I think, like you really have two options. You can either slightly adapt and evolve with the changing of the music, and like find something new to like, which I've done a little bit. But I just listen to the same shit that I listened to when I was a teenager, That's and then I, I do. Don't, then I don't have to worry about it, you know. Like I'll listen to a little bit of newer stuff if it's like catchy enough, or mm-hmm. like I'm like, you know what, that sounds pretty good. But for the most part, I listen to the exact same bands I listened to when I was in high school. Welcome, my mom, Mary Bean. How are you today? I'm good, and I know I can't live up to the hype, but okay. Oh, you're definitely going to be fine. Uh, I don't have that big of an audience, so really, you don't. You just don't have to let down like three people. Okay, so so <laughs> I think you can. So Larry that, right? and uh, actually, Larry, I don't think listens to this, but he, <laughs> you know, when he found out that you were going to be on it, he's he might he might actually check this episode yep, out okay. because he he loves you so. Okay. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, we've been teasing that you were going to be my first guest. Um, 
so I'm excited that we can finally make this happen. We've been trying for a few weeks, and it just hasn't worked out time-wise, um, <coughs> which is the same reason Ashley's, like, quitting the show now, because we just, time-wise, it's just hard to do, to line up, so... I'm, I'm so she's quitting the show <laughs> she's she'll she'll be back every once in a while but she's not my permanent co-host anymore Aww. so it's it's just me by my lonesome for a Aww. while but i i think not Chris with all his friends excuse me i just like inhaled some pop right before we started recording so i'm gonna be like hacking through the episode but um what, what was i gonna say uh about her not being yeah yeah so <clears throat> i wanted to make sure you were my first guest I've got other people. I've got other people that want to come on and be guests, um, but I wanted you to be my first. So now that you're my first guest, and we're getting this guest episode out of the way, I feel like I can have a new guest, <coughs> hopefully every other week, and I won't have to worry about a co-host. I'll still have somebody to talk to instead of Aww. having to you're talk not by have myself. To sit here and talk to yourself. Like well, I did that for one episode, and it, I, I was only able to make it like 35 minutes, and it was like <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to want to hear this, but <coughs> it was okay. But, oh, man, we're both clipping all over the place already. Um, I don't know what that means, but it's, okay. It's a technical term that you don't have to worry about. I just need to worry about mm. adjusting my microphones. Uh, so, first, I guess... <coughs> God damn it. Uh, the first thing, I guess, uh, just kind of catch everybody up on the last couple weeks with the kids, just because that's how we start every episode. Uh, and... Like I, we were just talking about right before I started recording, it's it's not like you don't know my kids, so feel free to interject if there's something you want to add I, to I've this. I've met them. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. a, f- a few times, right? Mm-hmm. <coughs> um, Mark's football team, I, I think this was right after the last episode, uh, Mark's football team lost a game. I think the last episode we were talking about how they were still undefeated and they had <coughs> outscored their opponents 140-something points to 13. But you don't really count that when they're in Little League. Or not in Little League. Oops, sorry. <coughs> Pop Warner. Pop Warner. Well, in his age, it does matter. Oh, they do count. Yeah, because okay. uh, the playoffs start in a couple weeks. And if they go through the playoffs and they win state, they could be invited to play in a tournament in Orlando. Ooh, so the, well, then the, I get to go. The points <laughs> yeah, matter in yeah. his age, which is crazy. Like I, This is the first like most competitive thing we've been involved in so far. I mean, <coughs> his baseball team was pretty competitive, too. But not like this. This is a whole whole nother level. Um, but yeah, so right after the last episode when we were bragging about his team being undefeated, they lost their next game. Uh, but you get. It was, it was a good game. The team they played against was very good. Uh, they played against Portage. Um, and they had one kid on their team that just, I think he scored all their points. And he was just unstoppable. Like the fastest kid on the field. And we have a kid like that too that scores probably 90% of our points. But... This kid was just—I mean, nobody could nobody could tackle him. Nobody could get in, in front of him. Even just it, it was a mess. But they didn't. It's and not these like, are first <coughs> and second graders, or what? What is the uh, age? It's seven, eight, and nine-year-olds okay. uh, from like seventy-five pounds to one hundred and fifteen. Oh, pounds they do have a weight thing. Okay. Yeah, that's, well, that's good. That's a safety thing. Well, that's good. Yeah, because they could hurt somebody. Yeah, exactly. And actually, there was a kid on Mark's team. Uh, a friend of ours, their son Gavin. It's it's his first year playing, also, um, but he's I think nine already. So the only thing stopping him from going up to the next division was his weight. His weight. So mm-hmm. he had to cut weight at the beginning of the season just to make sure he made the official uh, made the official weigh in for the beginning of the season. Really? Other because otherwise the the kids the next level up 
are so much more aggressive than these kids are oh, because because in in Mark's age he's in what's called Mighty Mites. There's only one division under his which is Tiny Mites, mm-hmm. um, which the Tiny Mites it's hysterical watching the Tiny Mites oh, on the field. They don't they don't keep score in Tiny Mites, but Mark's age is the first one where they do keep score, um, and they're learning the fundamentals of the game. They're learning pass plays. They're learning. You know, they're, well, they're learning plays in general. It's not just like, here, hand this kid the ball, he's going to run with it. It's like, here's your route, these are the guys you need to run between, the blockers need to push this way, and it, it gets a little more involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but the next the next step up is uh, Junior Peewees, and the coach for the Junior Peewee team is intense. Like, they practice right next to us mm-hmm. on some days, and you just hear him screaming the whole time. Really? God dang it! I said do this. You Are better you run serious? it. Yeah. Oh, now see, I think that's too much. I but, just, but you know, I what? don't agree with that kind of. The, crap. Ki- the kids respond to it though. I'm and, sure they do, but I don't like that stuff. That's if if you will vaguely remember, you had some baseball I did, coaches I did, well, at one point that were like was that. A, well, that's because Coach Midkiff. I wasn't going to name any names, I, I, I but there were a couple. There were a couple he, of coaches. I promise he's not listening. Well, to there this. was there were a couple of coaches in particular that I remember a lot of the parents getting really ticked off because they were really really hard on you guys, and I well, and I felt it was a little ridiculous. Coach Midkiff was at one point the Pop Warner coach. Um, that explains so, a lot. Yeah, exactly. So he he had that football mentality that he brought to the baseball field, and which like, wasn't necessary. I didn't like it because I up to that point was not used to that. Now, Coach Bales, uh, who was Mark's the athletic director, mm-hmm. he was Mark's mm-hmm. assistant coach because yeah. uh, his son was Mark's coach. Yeah, Coach Bales was like that too. Sometimes to mm-hmm. a certain extent, he was a little intense, but he used his intensity to kind of get the point into our heads. Coach Midkiff. Just seemed he like was, he was—he was a hothead. He was just mean for the sake of being. And mean. I just remember him just screaming at you guys when you were out <clears throat> on the field, and it was yeah. like, and what? What is that doing besides embarrassing those kids that are out on the field? But I know. remember, and I—I'll I, never forget this. I—I uh, I was I, I was not that bad at baseball, but I also wasn't that great. Um, there was one time that I was playing for Coach Midkiff, and I hit the ball out to, you know, shallow left field or something, let's say. Mm -hmm. It was a single, you know, a base hit single. There was nobody on, so there was nobody running ahead of me. And I got to first base, and my first base coach, which may have been Coach Midkiff, I don't remember, was telling me, stop, stop, stop. But the throw came in from left field. They overthrew the first baseman, and I saw it go past the first baseman. So I took off and went to second. Mm Mm-hmm. Even though the coach was telling me stop, I took off and went to second because I saw the overthrow and I, I knew I could make it. Mm-hmm. So the first baseman scoops up the ball. He throws it to the second baseman, misses the second baseman, and goes back out into the outfield. I take off for third base. I think I remember the, that. The outfielder picks up the <laughs> yeah, ball, throws yeah. it to third base, misses the third baseman. I remember that. So I yeah, run I home. That. I got an in-the-park home run on a, a lazy single. Yeah, I remember and that. And instead of like cheering me on or anything, I get back to the dugout and the coach says, you know, you're going to have to run laps on Monday because we told you to stop. <laughs> and you said, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, way to just kill any chance I ever had of overachieving in my yeah, life. You yeah. know. Well, I do have to say, though, I also have very vivid memories of you when you were playing baseball, just standing in the outfield and spitting on the ground and like you well, know kick, you, kicking you the dirt <laughs> kicking the dirt where you spit like to make mud and that's pretty much what you were doing you know when the balls were 
being hit or not hit by you. So it was kind of like, uh, yeah, if, <clears throat> if something had come out by you, you would have got hit on the head because you were looking. But that was like there. that was like little little league. This that was, was last year. This I'm just saying. <laughs> when I'm just I played saying. for when I played for Coach Midkiff, I was in. I don't. Remember I want to say like fourth or fifth grade already at that point. So. I, you know, I was already understanding the game and I was actually playing the game. I just wasn't as athletic as some of the other kids yeah. were. Um, you honestly weren't that interested, honest. You... By the time I got to that age, I, I enjoyed the game. Yeah, yeah. I, I know when I was a kid, it was not, I, yeah. I remember it not being that fascinating to me. But, yeah. but I do remember when I got to the majors was when I started having fun with the game. And then, of course, go figure, I have like the worst coach in the league I guess I shouldn't call him the worst coach. I don't know if he was the worst coach or not, but I just didn't like him. And he really, at a point when I was actually starting to enjoy the game of baseball, he really almost smashed that into the Well, honestly, he's, I think he smashed that for a lot of kids. Yeah. And that's what all of us parents kind of <clears throat> were mad about. And but luckily, anyway. you, I know you talked to the the league the next year and you were able to get me to switch teams, which they didn't usually do that in the majors. Right. Once you started on one team, they let you, they made you finish on that team. Yeah. But, uh, I got switched to another team, and I remember I remember running into Coach Midkiff after that, and he mm-hmm. was just like, "Oh, you didn't want to play for me anymore." You said, "No, you're yeah. jerk." <laughs> I should have. I should have, except for I was like eleven, so <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say and that was, to an adult. And he was still a little bit yeah. taller than you, just you know. <laughs> um, but anyway. Okay, about the kids. So yeah, uh, Gavin didn't want to go into the junior peewees, so he he cut weight before the season started, which. There's a lot to ask a nine-year-old to do, but he worked I can't, hard. I can't believe, yeah. I don't, I don't he, know. he worked hard for it. He was only drinking water, and uh, oh, his, I, I, his mom I was, I, I know, it's a lot for a kid, but, you, you know, it's also, it's a good age to teach them discipline, if that's something they want to do. It's not, by no means was it something that his mom and, and stepdad were, like, making him do. He mm-hmm. he had no time, at no point were they like, hey, you have to cut weight. Yeah. He did it on his own because he wanted to end up in this age group, and so he he worked really hard at it, and which which I think is for a nine year old to have that kind of discipline, I think was great. Mm-hmm. Like he was, like I said, he was drinking nothing but water. He would he would go in the middle of summer. He would go out to the basketball court because they live right next to uh, the basketball court in, in uh, Liberty Park, mm-hmm. and he would throw on a couple of hoodies in the summer and, and go play basketball oh. so he could sweat it out. And, oh, I don't know about that. Huh? See, I don't know. And I, he, but he, he's whatever. you know what though he's doing great in this age in this age division he's he's i mean nobody I, can know, get past him he, you he's know a, me he's i'm a, a non-sporty a person so to me it's kind of like yeah i don't know so i i don't there are some parents and surprisingly i i wasn't sure how it was going to be with the football parents because you know when you grow up in a football town which we live in mm-hmm. uh you kind of get the impression that the football parents are like Basically, like, uh, what what do they call the, I don't know, the the little girls, the the pageant moms and stuff. Yeah, that's how yeah. The, the, that's what that's the impression you get of the football parents. Is yeah, that I would the kids so. don't even care about the game. It's the, parents, the parents are like, pushing. You better it. do this. You better do. Yeah. But I, from what I've seen from the parents on Mark's team, and even on the other teams that they all practice on the same fields at the same time, so we see all the parents there. Mm-hmm. And it's nothing but support. It's nothing but wanting the kids, and not just their kid. It's wanting all of the kids to succeed. And, you know, there's a, a real good sportsmanship driven into the kids' heads. Good. Real good, like, sense of playing for a team, not playing for themselves kind of. Mm-hmm. 
I really there's no I in team. It's it, honestly, it's been great. You know, whenever something, you know, Mark, you know, Mark's not the most athletic kid either. Mm-hmm. He's he's kind of lazy. He likes video games. You know, he's he's a typical eight year old kid that doesn't. We've found it hard to find a sport that he really enjoys. Mm-hmm. Um, this one he seems to really really enjoy. He doesn't still try as hard as I think he could, um, but. The nice thing is, like, whenever he does something, like, he misses a block or something, and they'll they'll pull him from the game and put somebody else in because he missed his block. Mm-hmm. Instead of getting to the sidelines and the kids are like, hey, you need to do this, you bo-, they they pat him on the back and say, hey, get him next time, you know, just, yeah. just try well, harder good. next time. That's and good. to see at that age, to see kids doing that instead of just being like, hey, I'm the best player on the team and you guys can't do this, mm-hmm. it's it's... It's strange, but it's really nice, and I, that's why I've really liked him playing for this football team. I, I well, think good. it's a good a good attitude they get into these kids' heads. Well, that's good. So, so anyway, I've enjoyed it. Yeah, um, but yeah, so his team lost, <laughs> so, <laughs> but they didn't get they didn't get their butts kicked or anything. It was a real close game the whole time. It honestly came down to the last two minutes, mm-hmm. and they just they couldn't pull it out. Yeah, but then they turned around this last weekend and they won forty to forty five to ten or something like that. Good. So. They're they're back Mm -hmm. on top again. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see. The girls, uh, they play their last soccer game this Saturday, uh, which by the time this episode comes out, it'll be tomorrow is their last soccer game. And this last game they played this past weekend, uh, they're finally starting to try. (laughs) I just was going to say, are they liking it now? They're actually running around and kicking the ball around. And Livy, as ungraceful as she is, uh, she's actually getting pretty good and coordinated wow. with kicking the ball around. Good. Um, the only thing she's afraid of, excuse me, like when there's a kid coming at her with the ball and she's on defense and she's supposed to turn the ball around and get it to go the other way, mm-hmm. she's like a little afraid to step in front of them when they're coming at her. Yeah. Well, so she's she afraid like gets, she's going to get kicked. She gets probably. off to the side and she like as they're coming by, she tries to just kick it sideways or something. Mm-hmm. Which it works, but mm-hmm. well, uh, good. She, she just needs to be a little more aggressive about it. Scarlet. Has the aggressive part down, but she gets bored fast because mm-hmm. she doesn't have a very big attention span. So, mm-hmm. like, she'll be out there for a couple of minutes, and then all of a sudden she'll just be like, oh, I don't want to do that. And, Honestly, know. I think it's really hard to have kids in, in a sport at that age because they don't have the attention span. <laughs> it is. And they, you know, they don't like to we, we knew that do going, anything for very long. We knew that going in, and we've expected that, and that's why we, we try not to – we don't take it too – hard on them when they don't participate we we at least want them to try that's all we're asking like, mm-hmm. we don't mm-hmm. say hey you better do this and you better it's just like hey just play it's time for brews with dudes ah juicy This is a very special episode. We are down at Brokerage Brewing Company in West Lafayette, which just so happens to be the oldest brewery in West Lafayette. And first. (laughs) Um, We're sitting down here at their inaugural Oktoberfest celebration, and we have the great honor... Whatever. Most prestigious (laughs) award of being able to sit here. It is actually kind of like... A big honor for you guys. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> we are sitting here with Brokerage's uh, head brewer, only brewer, the master brewer, 
Uh, Mr. Corey. I don't know your last name. What's Patterson. Your? Patterson. Mr. Corey yeah, Patterson. Mr. Corey Patterson, the one and only. The, well, uh, the that's, not a, that's actually true. Uh, <laughs> so, crazy story. There's a baseball player named Corey Patterson that shares the same birthday with me. No way. He used to play for the Chicago Cubs. He played, I think, right field. Wow. Uh, so, wow. if you Google me, it's really hard to find me, which is actually kind of awesome. That is kind of cool. That is kind of <laughs> really cool. good. It's hard I've to. I've Googled myself before and nothing came up. <laughs> Nobody wants to know about me. There are several Nick Maxons. It's kind of sad. Um, some of them are like more successful than me. <laughs> so, so I don't really pop up in the first 10 or 20. Yes, there are there are at least 10 Nick Maxons. Um, I like to think that I'm the most colorful and perhaps... Um, um, well, with your tattoos, I think that's a yes. I'm colorful. And certainly the most handsome. Thank you. That's what I needed to hear. Um, so let's not... I tell him every day and he never believes me. <laughs> We are going to drink a whole flight. Um, it's actually a pretty large flight. We got these are big. These are big. Cups, we got so. six. We got six beers here. We're sitting on this flight. This is a six beer flight. It's actually in a chunk of wood, like somebody it, took like a two inch cut out of a stump and just put some holes in it for your. We we took some pictures. Glasses. We took some pictures for you folks. So you'll 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 see what we're talking about. It's it's seriously one of the cooler, um, flight. Trays, trays. That's the yeah. word. I honestly wish I could remember who made them, uh, but I can't. It's um, the same people who did the, the interior woodwork in the brewery. Uh, so if you go into the brewery, there's a lot of nice, uh, like raw wood trim around the uh, the windows and stuff. That was the same guy who did that. Did our flight boards for us. That's awesome. I, I remember commenting when we walked up because I've driven I've driven past the front, but I've not walked up front. I usually come in through the back, and I was like, damn, this this place looks like nice. Isn't it? It's super cool looking. It's, it's really, really, really nice. Cool, yeah, I'm yeah. so used to. Coming in this back way up this little ramp area because it's just so easy to just park right here and go. Oh, sure. Because out front's more on the street and the street parking. And this, yeah, that's I mean, usually full. We were kind of, uh, you know, there's a lot of breweries opening up that had that, like, kind of like post industrial, like, raw ironwork stuff, which I, actually, from a personal standpoint, I really like. But yeah. uh, I think it was, uh, you know, a deliberate decision on our part to kind of, like, break from that a little bit. I mean, we're yeah. a little bit warmer of a brewery, so to speak. Uh, we, like, tend to be super friendly and it's like more neighborhood oriented than it's like beer cozy. geek oriented yeah yeah it's very, it's very cozy. cozy it's very open and welcoming like the whole front patio is great with all the chairs you can sit on you can take a beer outside when it's nice and just sit on the patio and just enjoy you're yourself. sitting on the porch yeah sitting bring your dog porch, man we love them yeah, having yourself a patio beer porch porch beers porch beer porch beers porch beer speaking of beers i'm ready to dive into our first one the wandering neighbors fest beer Sure thing. So, um, so this is my beer that I did for our Oktoberfest celebration. Uh, it's a German style lager. Uh, about, I think it's right around six percent. It's a little bit lighter than what most people in America think of when they think of like Oktoberfest style beers. Definitely. Um, but this is more true to the style of beer you get in Munich when you go to Oktoberfest. Uh, they moved away from like the the Meritzen style Oktoberfest, and I think it was the '90s. And went to something that's a little bit lighter to drink because it's way easier to drink a large quantity of. Yes, oh, this, <laughs> is, this is good. That's the goal. This <laughs> is to drink a lot of it. This just Oktoberfest is my favorite style of beer. Heck yeah! Like this is my favorite season when it comes to beer. I'm like I'm going everywhere and doing everything I can to find every Oktoberfest I can, and I'm even going back to breweries that I've like stopped checking out because I want to see if they've come up with a new Oktoberfest because not everybody does it. Well, but for it's sure. becoming more popular over here as craft beer's been picking up so now I'm like I'm like a kid in a candy store when it comes to like 
to the Oktoberfest part of the beer. Oh, absolutely. Aisle, like, when, when I started oh seeing, God. like, those little light blue and white diamonds on, like, cans and bottles, I'm like, ah, fall is here. Like, this is great. It's that time. And I'm, I'm always peeking around the corner, and it's like, it's right there at the end of August, and I'm like, where is it? Where is my fucking Oktoberfest? Or, like, late it. June if it's Sam Adams' Oktoberfest, so. Right. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's Sam Adams. They've really jumped the gun on a lot of stuff. Like, I think you can get their winter lager now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Why? If, if you're listening, why, Sam? Why? Why do you got to be like that? This is phenomenal. It's uh, you, can, you can see through it. It's it's great quality in a lager. It goes down so easy. It's, oh, I could delicious. I could sure, drink yeah. this all day and not realize how drunk I'm getting. Oh, absolutely. And like, I was really hoping we would have the, like the liter mugs here for the Oktoberfest because I really want to drink this in a liter mug. Real, yeah. The big old sign. Like, oh, absolutely. I was actually able to pick up a stein uh, just the other day from uh, the pint over there. Oh, did you do like one of the, the stein-offs or whatever? No, where the, you uh, 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 sorry, <laughs> Victory and uh, I can't remember the name of the Hoffenbrau. Hoffbrauhaus. Yeah. yeah Hoffbrauhaus. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were doing a, they were, had some complimentary steins they sent over to them with their Oktoberfest beers. What? So if you bought one of those, you're able to keep your stein and so I have a Hoffenbrauhaus one, and it's got a traditional German-style woman with two steins holding up, and it says Oktoberfest on the banner across the top of her, and it's, like, super that's awesome. cool. And yeah, I'm that's like, pretty dope. I specifically went straight there for that. I wanted to get a victory one, but by the time I got there, they are completely gone. When we went the week before for that uh, Three Floyds tap takeover, we got there a 15 minutes after it started, and almost everything was gone because people just flooded. It. Oh I'm yeah, like, I believe it. How many people are not doing anything at three o'clock in the afternoon yeah. on a we Thursday? Got, Barely all, enough. A lot. We were <laughs> able to get the last two, uh, three Floyd Zombie Dust special tulip cups. Oh, the little Teku glasses, or they no, were they like proper weird. tulips? It's weird. It's it's about. It goes out and then back in. But it has like a, tall. it has a short, thick stem on the bottom, and then it has like huh. an elongated like top on the tulip. Oh, so uh, oh, so almost like a Belgian tool. Like, the, like, have you ever seen the ones that, that, sounds, uh, that La Truth right. does? Right. Yeah, yeah. But that's what it is, and it has the zombie dust symbol on one side, and then it has the three points. Ah, on man, the other. those are dope. And it's actually the zombie dust is actually like the green and all that color, so it's really cool. And then they're also doing it with war pigs. Yeah, here's a picture of it. For you. Oh man, that is crazy looking. Yeah. Yeah. Then they had a. They were doing war pigs as well, and war pigs was giving away a war pigs short pint. So it was a pint, so it was just shorter and wider. So it was a larger cup. So it was just like, so we got one, we were able to get that too. Speaking of awesome cups, these silicone cups that these, you guys have these, are, yeah, are, are, are they're great. awesome. Unfortunately, folks, they're sold out. I apologize. I got the last two. Yeah, uh, we got the last of them. We, oh, they're gone. Yeah, yeah they're, they're gone. definitely gone. Oh, that's right. You got yeah. Because of everybody yeah. at the table. So we, Corey here had the last two. We, we like, all got oh, the no. last four. We're, just, we're two just hiding behind the bar, and we're like, need those now. So, yeah, um, I'm not sure who came up with this idea. Uh, they showed up at the brewery doorstep one day, and I'm like, what are these? Oh, they're cups. Oh, they're not glass. They're silicone. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm digging it. No, Nick and I it. joked that we're going to get drinking on those and get drunk and start throwing them at each other. Just because we can. Because we can. Just yeah, it's like, you know, if you ever get angry at each other, you know, have a fight but not hurt each other, silicone cups. Who has cups. not gotten drunk and got angry at their friends and wanted to hit them with a cup? Nobody. Yeah. Without threat of hospitalization. It's like dodgeball for alcoholics. 
drunk. We need more than two cups. <laughs> <laughs> I slammed through that one. Are you? Oh, oh I've, I've been done. That All right. So, so good. is it time for number two, or is it always a dragon? Always a dragon. That would be a good second one to go for. Ooh, yeah. I was actually uh, stopped in here for a minute yesterday, and that's what I got. Yeah, so this is a, a very traditional style English brown porter. It's kind of my like my love poem to the first brewery I worked at, Yakida. Um, Chip does amazing like English style beers. His uh, big pit porter, I think, is one of the finest examples of the style. Uh, so I decided for like this was one of the first I think uh, ten beers that we brewed, and it's one of the very very few that comes back like every two or three months or so. We tend to do a lot of uh, a lot of rotating and one-off styles. Uh, because of the size of the brewery, it's very small, so I have the, the fortunate ability. ability. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you said it's small, but uh, maybe explain to the listeners a bit about your system you have going here. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, so Brokerage Brewing Company, we're, uh, we're a nano brewery. Uh, we have a three-and-a-half-barrel system, which roughly translates into about seven kegs at a time. Uh, we brew about two or three times a week. Uh, and the nice thing about being this small is that we can be very nimble. So uh, I don't have to plan out like quarterly, yearly projections like I had to at my last job. Uh, I can be like, oh, what do I have left for grain? Oh, I've got enough to do a wee heavy. That's what we're doing this week. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really I, cool. I feel like every time I come in, even if it's, you know, every couple weeks, there's always at least one or two new beers. Oh, absolutely. And uh, it, it's funny because uh, this is the, the third place I've worked. And I've never seen so many like regulars, like like one day a week regulars, get flights consistently over the course of like the nine months that we've had our own beer. Yeah. Like I, don't, I just don't get oh, what's yeah, going on. It's great. It's a great allure to it too because it's this like nice, real warm, welcoming place. But you always, you're almost guaranteed to have a new beer every time you come in. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's what it is. Like people come in like, oh yeah, I was here last week, but there's one new beer, so I have to get all these other ones plus that one. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, got it. I got it. <laughs> I don't have a choice have to it's it's so hard to choose just one i really really like the roasty miss on oh this sure one. yeah yeah it's phenomenal that, that multi roast right there at the back end just yeah so you get like really sets the tone on yeah it. a little bit of chocolatiness uh you get a little bit of that like, kind of like almost like the bitter roast malt but it's kind of restrained um it uses a lot of brown malt which i really like it's kind of like chewing on um uh like a dark wheat toast crust yes which absolutely. i love a lot I love wheat toast. I love toast. Like that's like one of the most genius food. like cooking things ever. Like who, who looked at bread? You like you know what? Cook it again. <laughs> I don't know. You guys, no, don't worry. You didn't mess it up the first time. You didn't mess it up the first time. But it this time, no, just this is good. Go a little bit more. I've got an idea. You know though. what? Let's cook this shit again. Let's see how this goes. Hold and my then beer. It came out and be like, you know, what would be great on this. Fucking butter. <laughs> you're making me hungry. Is what you're doing. That's all you're accomplishing right now. Oh my goodness! This is phenomenal. I'm really digging this. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah it's um, in like, as a, a beer drinker, I'm not like a very traditional. Like, I don't drink a lot of porters and stouts. It's just not kind of my jam. But I actually really, really like making them. Yeah. I think yeah. they're some of the the most challenging beers to do in a very, like, and still have a delicate balance to them. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I'm a, I think that's what made me appreciate stouts more is is the home brewing was. Once I made it, because I like I really like coffee, so I was like, I'm gonna make a beer with coffee in it. And after that, I was like, okay, now I'm just gonna drink stouts. Oh, <laughs> like, absolutely, and, yeah. And uh, no, when I when I was first getting into craft beer, in that like stouts and porters, like as soon as I saw that, and I'm like, nope, didn't even want to try it because they were just 
my palate hadn't been like built up to be able to taste everything it had because that's one thing a lot of people notice that people that don't drink like more craft beers or heavier beers they they can't taste all the flavors in it so you'll get an IPA and they're like man that tastes like flowers or oh they can only taste like the really bitterness part of the porters and stouts and they're like oh man that's so bitter and awful yeah it's and, it's always a learning it, curve it, yeah and it takes a little bit for your your palate to be able to taste all the different flavors and nuances within it and now that I drink more craft beers and stuff like stouts and porters like that's what I look for first when I go to a new brewery like if I haven't been there I was like okay what stouts and porters do you have and I have noticed that like oatmeal stouts and like or in like brown porters are like normally the ones they generally have until you find something else where you'll get like an imperial stout sure yeah um I like I was I'm much the same way when I like go to a brewery for the first time I I get their lightest beer I get their darkest beer and then I get their IPA because that gives yeah. me a pretty good idea of like what their like philosophy is towards brewing styles, techniques, uh, and I'm I'm a fizzy yellow beer junkie. That's that's kind of my jam. So yeah. <laughs> if you've got a good fizzy yellow beer, I'm gonna be like a hardcore fan for life. <laughs> that is a good way. That's a good way to do it. Light, dark, and the IPA. Yeah, it gives I, you do, I do still I do still pretty much get the IPA. That's one of my <laughs> first things. I'm like, what kind of IPA do you got? Yeah. Well, we have all of them. <laughs> we yeah. have every we have single all, one. We have. All the IPA. White IPA, yeah. black IPA, red IPA. All of them. Bake it. <laughs> black IPA. Boil that's it. the one that I, that, that's like the only thing I haven't been able to like really get behind is a black IPA. Have you Just ever because it, it seems to me like it's so hard to find a good one. Because I think it's I don't know if it's like more difficult to make them. So or? Brewer's recommendation. Uh, I like Anger by Greenbush is in my opinion the best example of a black IPA I've ever had. By Greenbush. By Greenbush Brewing Company, yeah. It's um Do you guys get Greenbush down here? Sorry folks, know. I'm from up north, so yeah, I, don't I don't know what's going on. I don't know if we do. I know I've heard of it, but I don't think I it's know in I our stores. I up north because <laughs> I have I have family up north and I can just hit up the Fort Wayne and be like, "Hey guys, I'm here to visit." For sure. And get some beer. I'm actually <laughs> just here for beer. And just here I'm, for beer. I'm using you as an excuse. <laughs> you would believe how often I do that to my sister. I'm like, "Hey, I haven't seen you in a while. I'm coming to visit. Yeah. I'm here to visit. She's oh. like, just to see you. She's like, what do you want? Actually, I just came for the beer. Do I have everybody's attention now? Roman accidentally Superman punches Dean, and everyone's like, oh, fuck. There's the dissolution of the shield again. You can't have too much of a good thing for too long because we'll just end it anyways. It's done. And uh, it was there's a really fucking cool spot, and I loved this. So you had Seth and Roman in the middle of the ring, and you had Braun in front of them, Drew to the right, and Dolph to the left, and behind them is Dean. And Dean's kind of almost eyeing him up like, I'm about to beat your motherfucking asses right now, and I'm crazy enough to do it right now. And damn it, Roman Reigns, why the fuck did you punch me in the face? That hurt so bad, you bastard motherfucker. It's the language today, man. I don't know why. For some reason, I'm just resorting to the most vile language to discuss professional wrestling. But sometimes that's where my brain goes. I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, great match. Ultimately, uh, to go back to that spot, Dean goes through his brothers and uh, leg drops Braun Strowman and then does a cool dive to the outside through the middle rope suicide dive style. Because that's okay to do. Uh, ultimately, the Shield pick up the victory. A couple interesting false finishes here. You had 
uh, all I remember is is that Drew got Sweet Chin music down by Seth. Seth got Sweet Chin music by Ziggler. Ziggler turned around to get the uh, Dirty Deeds by Ambrose. Ambrose got the pin and the win. And of course, the Shield sticks their hands in, and it's a great moment. And it was awesome. It was it was great. Uh, this was a very good match. I was very happy with it. Uh, I will give it a 4.25. I do believe it was one of the few cards that was 100% perfectly primed where it needed to go uh, on this card for how the crowd response was because the, they were definitely like already on a high from the Buddy Murphy-Cedric Alexander uh, match, and they were wanting more, so you have to kind of lead them out the door, right? Uh, up next, after that six-man tag match, we had DB, the Daniel Bryan, versus The Miz. Singles match determined the number one contender for the SmackDown and WWE Championship. Uh, I thought this match was very interesting. It's a very short match. It only goes 2 minutes, 45 seconds. There's not a lot of crazy action, not a lot of stuff that happened, Okay. It's a couple false finishes real quick, a couple thoughts on the finishers real quick. Boom, Miz is going for the skull-crushing finale. It's turned into a pinning submission, or into a pinning move. Uh, it's turned into a pin, and a, not really quick, but a consistent one, two, three from Charles Robinson uh, gives Daniel Bryan the win to become the number one contender. And, man, the implications from this match. So now we know Daniel Bryan versus AJ Styles at WWE Crown Jewel will be taking place uh that match will be happening very shortly and we're going to be talking about that soon in a few short minutes here but it's interesting because the aj styles daniel bryan matchup i believe they had some matches in roh uh and uh they're talked about to this day so to see them go toe-to-toe for the big prize in the wwe is going to be very interesting and uh, both those guys are good guys right now, though. So is it a is it just a tale of it doesn't fucking matter if you've got two heroes? Because that's not typically WWE's mo. You've got to have a guy to cheer for, and you have to have a guy to boo. And uh, I don't think that Daniel Bryan is the guy to boo. I also don't think AJ Styles is the guy to boo. Right now they're on a different trend. Uh, right now I see one of two things happening. I see Samoa Joe. Out of fucking nowhere, like on Raw or on like on SmackDown this week, winning the title in some random rematch, okay? Or I see the Miz sneak attacking and beating the shit out of Daniel Bryan to replace him as number one contender, or asking for a rematch and maybe some different circumstances happen, and then it's like now it's Daniel Bryan versus the Miz versus AJ for the title, oh, versus Samoa Joe, fatal four-way out of nowhere, you know. There's a lot of ways this could go down, but like I said, the implications from that AJ-Samoa Joe match really affect what I thought about the Daniel Bryan-Miz match because the Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles matchup is great. Samoa Joe and Miz would have been great. Samoa Joe-Daniel Bryan would have been great. AJ-Miz would have tore the house down. It's arguably one of the best matchups, but I think that ultimately AJ-DB is the best matchup uh, I just don't know where they go with the story, and I guess we're going to just have to be along for the ride to find out. Let's go on to the final match. Oh, oh, 3.75 for that Ms. Daniel Bryan match. Let's not forget to give them a rating there. Uh, Triple H and 
Shawn Michaels, well, Triple H with Shawn Michaels, uh, up against The Undertaker with Kane. No disqualification match. Match goes 27 minutes. The last match of the night. A sprinkle of Attitude Era nostalgia here. It didn't hit me in the cockles of my heart like I wanted it to. It was good. It was definitely good. There were some interesting spots. Uh, I want to mention that the match itself was okay. Uh, It was kind of the same shit they've all been doing to each other any other time there's a match. Triple H has shenanigans. Triple H tries to use the sledgehammer. Uh, Shawn Michaels has a change of heart, tries to be the good guy, fucking sweet chin music, somebody in the face anyways. Like, it's old hat. We've seen it. We've seen it done time and time and time again and time again. So the match itself, Triple H versus Undertaker, give it to three stars. Okay, it was it was, it was was okay. And for that to be the last match of the night is like, damn. You kind of end on a low note there, you guys. And so I'm watching, and I'm watching, and I'm watching. And Triple H goes over and extends his hand to Undertaker, and I was like, oh, wow, this is... Like, they're going to really do this here. Even though they did it once before at WrestleMania 28 at the end of an era. Which the word end, the word last. But they're not the end or the last. The end of an era. The fuck does that mean? Are you just saying that those two can never wrestle in Hell in a Cell again? Obviously, they're too fucking old. The last time ever. Do you mean the last time ever that they'll face off one-on-one? But now we're going to put them in 54 different kinds of tag team matches together. Like, this is my issue with this, is that you hyped it as the last time ever. You give Triple H Shawn Michaels. You give Taker Kane. It definitely has that old school DX Brothers of the Destruction kind of vibe. Think Attitude Era 2001-ish, you know, 2000, even though I know that DX was long gone by then. Uh, But I digress. This match falls short. Triple H goes over, extends the hand. They hug it out. They all raise their hands together. And I was like, oh, this is a beautiful moment. It's like curtain call. It's like curtain call, too, you guys. Like, they caved their kayfabe, right? They, they broke kayfabe. And they're all raising each other's hands and saying, look at us. We're th- we've been at the top of the mountain for 20-some years. And this is the last time we're going to do something like that. And then, boom, God damn it, out of nowhere. Undertaker, fl- oh, by the way, uh, Undertaker lost to Triple H. Uh, but again, shenanigans, Triple H hit him with a fucking sledgehammer when he had Shawn Michaels up for the tombstone. Uh, so Triple H, they all raise their hands, and Taker just grabs Triple H, flips him around, hits him with a fucking tombstone. Kane hit the meanest-looking clothesline on Shawn Michaels, and I think... I don't know if Sean's arm was already busted open or if his mouth was cut open, but I thought I saw blood explode somehow, whether uh, Shawn Michaels spit a little blood or or whatnot. Um, So for that moment, the the fact that now it's it's not over, it's like you've essentially really reignited the the fire, and now there's there's a war that's going to be happening. Uh, I gave it an additional one star for that ending, so it was like a four-star thing. So overall here we had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 matches. Let's see, 4. Uh, I'm doing some quick math here because I'm going to try to give you guys like an aggregate score. So we have 6.25, uh, 16 and uh, 
you'd think somebody who did math for a living, I'd be faster at this, but I'm not. Uh, so 16 is 19.25. That's 23.25. That's 27.50. That's uh, 31.50. 31.50. 35. 25. 35.25 means this overall aggregate score, if we were to average everything out, this card was about middle of the pack, 3.25-ish, 3.5-ish. Uh, it wasn't spectacular. It wasn't awful. There were some high spots. There were some low spots. The highs and lows of pro wrestling, I guess, is what we're going to call them uh, today. We're going to move on here from the Super Showdown, talk about what is coming up next, which is going to be WWE Evolution, folks. And we have uh, not a whole hell of a lot more than what we filled in last time. We've filled some things out, but we've not filled everything out. Ronda Rousey, like I said, she's defending her title against To Be Determined. TBA, or To Be Announced, has lots and lots of spots on this uh, on this card. Uh, because Ronda Rousey is facing TBA. TBA as champion versus TBA as opponent. For the SmackDown Women's Champion, we're not sure who's going to be there. Kyrie Sane versus Shayna Baszler, a singles match for the NXT Women's Championship. TBA Champion versus TBA Opponent, NXT UK Women's Championship match. Uh, Lo Shirai versus Tony Storm, the Mae Young Classic Tournament Final. Alexa Bliss versus Trish Stratus, and Lita versus Mickey James. So, two matches to still be announced. One opponent for Ronda Rousey. Possibly some more matches to be announced. There is a rumor there will be tag team titles also possibly defended at this event. Really looking forward to uh, WWE Evolution. I'm also looking forward to the uh, the the podcast after Evolution. Uh, we're going to be bringing on uh, Foodies Watching Movies host, Veronica Evans, the lovely Veronica Evans. And she's going to watch this pay-per-view with me, and we're going to see what she thinks of it. And, uh, you know, lots of names still not on this card. You don't see Sasha Banks. I don't see uh, Naomi. I don't see, I mean, I don't see a lot of Asuka. I don't see, what's her name? She's not like most girls. Uh, Nia Jax, thank you. That was took me way the fuck longer. I don't see Ember Moon. Uh... You know, it's, uh, I feel like they, I don't see Natalia or Carmella. So they've got, they've got a lot more to pack into this. I don't think they're close to done. I think we're really going to get the fast track Monday on Raw is going to be like WWE Evolution. We're fucking on our way. And then we're there. And it's going to be, I mean, a first, the first ever all women's pay per view, uh, happening. And, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait. We are going to get into, let me just quickly say, some Being the Elite news. Uh, episode 19 just dropped, or episode 19, shit. Episode 119 just dropped, my apologies. And it was kind of like the aftermath of uh, All In and uh, everything kind of resetting. We had kind of a very open and honest wink and a nod right directly at the WWE that they seemingly offered Hangman Page a contract but it was horse shit, and as they've said, the group of the Bullet Club that is current 
um, Cody, Marty, the Bucks, Hangman Page, Kenny Omega, uh, Masa, Fat Ass Masa. Shout out to you, Fat Ass Masa. I don't know if you'll ever listen to this, bro, but maybe. Who knows? Um, but, uh, you know, those guys are going to do whatever they're going to do together. Their next step is together. And with that being said, uh, the episode title for 119 was TikTok. And you kept hearing a clock throughout, and there was this, like, countdown that was shown that's got, like, two months and some odd hours and days, and essentially it amounts to uh, the new year. And the new year, as a lot of people know, is when all these dudes' contracts are up. So they're teasing already that their contracts are up, what's going to happen, where are they going to go, what are they going to do. And if I'm them, be the hottest fucking thing in wrestling and keep doing it by yourselves. Sure, Vince might offer you a lot more money right now. Sure, he might offer you a lot, but he's going to water down your product. He's going to take away from all that merch money you're raking in week in and week out and day in and day out and every fucking second. Uh, 